Welcome to The Great American Shit Show. I'm your host, Stephen Vargas. This is where we take a look at the political, culture, war, cancer culture of a society that has lost the concept of irony and nuance. Thank you for joining me on our premiere episode of The Great American Shit Show. I'm your host, Stephen Vargas. I will be responsible each week for taking you through history to remind you all the things we're seeing today is nothing new. This is what happens when you choose not to learn from history and just kick problems down the road. This podcast is part of the Gen Xer Pod series, which takes my passion for history and critical thinking and reminds people that this isn't stuff you can learn from memes or 30 second TikTok videos, which are normally wrong anyway. Oh, and by the way, if you feel the need to insult me because I don't lean heavy in your political ideology, but form my own opinion on the evidence presented to me, that is the basis for a quote-unquote free thinker. When you hear someone that is on the cusp of being canceled for being a fucktard usually says that they are a quote-unquote free thinker, to which I say, you ain't. Why? Well, that's because you say the same things all those other quote-unquote free thinkers say. That's called conformity. It's like those goth kids in school that used to make fun of people for being conformist, yet they all wore the same dark clothes, dyed black hair, and some makeup. Isn't that the same thing? So, be nice. And I will be nice. Only until it's time to not be nice. Like many people, I was dumbfounded on the cold January morning in 2021. How did a party of fiscal responsibility, defense against our enemies, usually foreign and real, pro-law enforcement and respect for the Constitution turn? This is not the Republican Party that I grew up knowing, nor the same party that I studied when I went to college. And over the previous four years, a reality television star turned a party that was pro-democracy into pushing for an authoritarian nation. Hearing people shout into microphones that if the country was going to have a dictator, they would love to have Donald Trump as their first dictator. True story, by the way. The media, historians, pundits, and people who use the internet failed us as a society. Since 2015, the media, old and new, have been complaining about how the grand old party took such a hard right in the last decade. They've buckled under Trump and became an extremist party. This is the problem when people either don't look back prior to the year of their birth or denounce any form of history because it's biased. Yes, it is. All history is biased. But that doesn't mean it should be ignored. History tends to correct itself, much like the stock market, every few generations or so. Prior to my time in school, you were taught that America was that shining city on the hill. The story of Columbus started to change. No longer was he setting sail to prove the earth was round, but because he just wanted to make some change. Slavery was bad, which was taught to every school child in the country. Well, up until recently in certain states, kids were being taught that slavery helped slaves develop skills they would never have developed had they been free men and had a chance at learning like their lighter pigmented brethren. The problem with these nightly discussions on cable news is that they missed the obvious point. The GOP had been heading here over the course of the last 60 years. And since newscasts and modern documentaries will only go back as far as 2016, I'm going to head back even further, to the 1960s. 
before Generation X be ever began, and boomers were barely in their preteens by this point. Back to when the silent and greatest generations had control of the world, 15 years after the Second World War and 50s conformity had taken hold. Vietnam wasn't a thing yet, and Americans still viewed the Soviet Union as the bad guy. But before we head there, we need to stop back in 2021, just three short years ago. Remind people that all the history you will learn in the next several episodes culminated to that cold, cloudy day in Washington, D.C. on January the 6th, 2021. And it's still not over as we start 2024 with a new election that has the same earmarks of that election back in 2016. So that brings us to this week's premiere episode, The Modern GOP, The Founding. After 2020 ended, many people thought a new dawn was upon us, that we had somehow turned a corner, that somehow when January 1st came, the skies would open up and the kingdom of heaven would descend to earth. Well, that didn't happen. On January 6th, the holdover from 2020 sprang back up. Donald Trump had lost the presidential election back in November, and he wouldn't accept defeat. He continued to spread false information about the election being stolen. On that cold Wednesday afternoon, the United States Congress was about to certify the election for Joe Biden. And then this shit happened. Chaos and lawlessness striking at the heart of American democracy breaking out after the President of the United States urged an angry mob of his own supporters to confront members of Congress and even his own Vice President who were preparing to certify the election. They stormed the Capitol, clashing with police, breaking windows, scaling the scaffolding, fights breaking out in restricted areas of the building, officers outnumbered. In the House chamber, lawmakers dove for cover beneath their desks. Agents with guns drawn, their fingers on the trigger, guarding the barricaded door. Now, this insurrection didn't happen in a vacuum. Nothing that happens in our lives occurs in a vacuum. Earlier that day, Trump gave a speech to his supporters that would be seen by many as a call to arms. That he was asking them to take up his cause. We're going to walk down to the Capitol because you'll never take back our country with weakness. You have to show strength and you have to be strong. He was asking his people to fight. For what exactly? Well, that he receive a second term. For some reason, Trump believed that Congress could overturn the election and all Mike Pence had to do was not certify the votes. To this point, no one in the Republican Party, with the exception of Mitt Romney, dared to stand up to him, nor tell him he was wrong. That Monday, he told his supporters at a Trump rally that Mike Pence had to do it or he wouldn't like him as much. I hope Mike Pence comes through for us, I have to tell you. I hope that our great vice president, our great vice president comes through for us. He's a great guy. Of course, if he doesn't come through, I won't like him quite as much. It was obvious at that point, Pence wasn't too keen on doing his bidding. Not because he didn't like Trump, but because it was unconstitutional. Word had leaked out that Pence was hedging on doing his his one thing. He stood behind him for so long, but this was the bridge too far. Yeah. Is my statement out? Yes, sir, it is. 
Pence's statement was blunt. I do not believe that the founders of our country intended to invest the vice president with unilateral authority to decide which electoral votes should be counted. Overturning an election is something that happens in banana republics. Aside from the fact that the United States is behind many of those type of countries, that would be a that would be the downfall of many moderate Republicans. Claiming fraud in and of itself isn't illegal. And the Republicans have been claiming that for decades now. First, illegals will be given voting ballots. So we need a voter registration. Minorities tend to vote Democratic. So we need to make laws that disenfranchise voters from states that are under heavy GOP control. But this tactic to determine the presidential election was too much for even Mitch McConnell. The voters, the courts, and the states have all spoken. They've all spoken. If we overrule them, it would damage our republic forever. Our democracy would enter a death spiral. Yet you had a handful of hardline Trump supporters, senators, and members of the House of Representatives that were voted in on his coattails. They had to look like they were doing something, whether it was political fear or because they truly believed it. They weren't going to back down. I am not arguing for setting aside the result of this election. We appoint an electoral commission to conduct a 10-day emergency audit. Consider the evidence and resolve the claims. A majority of Republicans in both chambers were okay with letting the ballots be certified. The minority factions saw this as their big moment to run for re-election under the Trump banner or to run for president in 2024 to, quote-unquote, continue his policies. Because it's never too early to begin your campaign. But McConnell wasn't having it. It would be unfair and wrong to disenfranchise American voters and overrule the courts and the states on this extraordinarily thin basis. And I will not pretend such a vote would be a harmless protest gesture while relying on others to do the right thing. Then the Trump supporters stormed the Capitol building. Capitol police were overwhelmed and there was no additional security available. When Black Lives Matter protests happened during the summer, D.C. was mobilized as if they were expecting a caravan from our southern border. Had minorities committed such an action, they would have carpet-bombed the Capitol. And anyone who believes differently is simply lying. And then bedlam ensued. They brought out a woman on a stretcher, rushed her inside. We did see uh, blood gushing from her. Even as his own people were being shot, eventually dying, Trump did nothing. After pleas from his political supporters, he finally released a Twitter video. I know you're pain. I know you're hurt. We had an election that was stolen from us. It was a landslide election, and everyone knows it, especially the other side. But you have to go home now. We have to have peace. We have to have law and order. We have to respect our great people in law and order. We don't want anybody hurt. That classless video essentially gave cover to the insurrectionist, or at least they thought so. While all the talking heads on cable news blamed the president, others blamed the Capitol Police, while some even blamed Nancy Pelosi. There is this mythical belief among liberals that all this was the fault of Donald Trump. 
He wasn't the cause, but a result. The far right wing of the Republican Party has been heading in this direction since the 1960s. The party has been ever so inching to its far right tendencies for over half a century. Why? Because it wins elections. It's important to understand how we got to this point. The election of Donald Trump and this far-right dominance of the conservative movement has been on this path for over 60 years. This podcast plans to examine how we got to this point through history, and how each of these moments in a vacuum seem like random or even isolated events, but they were a small weave in the fabric of the new conservative movement. Now, here's a bit of history. The formation of the GOP came as a result of a split in the Whig Party in the 1850s. It was due to slavery. The Republican Party opposed allowing new states to adopt slavery. Yes, Democrats were the party of the South. They wanted to maintain slavery and their way of life. Abolishing slavery was considered government overreach and violated states' rights. Well, up until the 1950s, the war between Democrats and Republicans was pretty routine. This wasn't that was until the election of 1960 when John F Kennedy became president. Conservatives began racist accusations against Kennedy who was the first Irish and Catholic president. Republicans would claim that we were under the rule of the Vatican. A lot has changed in the last 60 years. What many people didn't see was a split coming within the Republican party. There were two factions, the more conservative wing of the party, which is now the standard, and the more liberal wing. Based in the Northeast, they were often referred to as Rockefeller Republicans. The more conservative wing was considered too extreme to win a national election. They were for staunch fiscal conservatism and militant anti-communism. They felt their viewpoint was being overshadowed by the elites. Sound a little familiar? In the election of 1964, Lyndon Johnson was running for re-election. He completed Kennedy's first term. He still had two terms if he chose to run. Now, Richard Nixon, who lost to Kennedy in 1960, knew that Johnson would be hard to beat and opted not to run again. Then stepped in Barry Goldwater. He was uh, considered the Trump of his day. I ask your help in this crusade to restore pride at home and respect abroad. And this is why I say that Republicans must take off the gloves. This is why I say that this election is not one for the record books. This election is one for the history books. Goldwater's speech to get into the 64 race sounded like a speech any Republican today would make. Insert any conservative in 2021, and that would be a stock speech. Goldwater was viewed by many traditional Republicans as being too far to the right. Many knew he didn't have what it took to win. As a result, moderate Republicans recruited a series of opponents, which included New York Governor Nelson Rockefeller, Henry Cabot Lodge Jr. of Massachusetts, and Pennsylvania Governor William Scranton. Goldwater's nomination was staunchly opposed by the so-called liberal Republicans, who thought Goldwater's demand for active measures to defeat the Soviet Union would culminate in a nuclear war. In addition to Rockefeller, prominent Republican officeholders across the Northeast refused to endorse Goldwater's candidacy, including both Republican senators from New York, Kenneth B. Keene and Jacob Javits, Governor Scranton, and Congress, Congressman John V. Lindsay. 
I will never vote for a public accommodations clause in any civil rights bill because I think it's unconstitutional. I think it tampers with the rights of assembly, the freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and the freedom of property. Now, liberals had no problem comparing Goldwater to Hitler. They do it all the time. However, liberal Republicans saw Goldwater as a bit of a racist for voting against the Civil Rights Act of 1964. He felt that the federal government didn't belong in forcing states to change. He was more of a let them figure it out in their own time and in their own way. In my home state, we have very few public places that remain segregated by pointing out to business people that it is morally wrong to practice discrimination and it's also economically bad. This type of approach, while I know it's time-consuming, it is having its effect, will have its effect, and I think it will achieve what we want. Goldwater believed it so much that he didn't agree with the Supreme Court when they said the Civil Rights Act was constitutional. Did it stop him from fighting it? Nope. He even suggested that the Constitution may supersede the highest court in the land. You have said, I believe, that we have no right to tell the southern states what they must do about school integration. I can't understand this statement. Uh, do you mean to say the Supreme Court decision is null and void? No, it, the Supreme Court decision is not necessarily the law of the land. The Constitution still is. We, they, they interpreted by that action that it was wrong to have segregation. Now, they didn't spell out what was to be done. When running for president, Goldwater overcame his party's old guard by galvanizing a grassroots coalition of business people, Southerners, Midwesterners, and Libertarians who felt sidelined by the GOP. This is a recurring theme in this series. It was their values, not those of wealthy Eastern elites, that should dominate the Republican platform, he argued, as he rallied to defeat primary rivals like Rockefeller and Henry Cabot Lodge. Sometimes I think this country would be better off if we could just saw off the Eastern seaboard and let it flow out to sea he famously told the press in early 1960s. While Johnson was loudly declaring a war on poverty, Goldwater waged a war on the moderate wing of his own party. It is a delusion that a world of conflict will somehow mysteriously resolve itself into a world of harmony if we just don't rock the boat or irritate the forces of aggression. And this is Hogwarts. Goldwater warned in, the, in his acceptance speech that anyone who do not care for our cause didn't belong within the GOP. Today, that cause, the pursuant of a balanced budget and limited government, coupled with a hardline stance on foreign policy and defense, would be central to the party's mission. Welfare? It should be a private matter, Goldwater proclaimed. Farm subsidies needed to go. He saw the federal government as bloated and failing to offer real opportunity to Americans. This don't tread on me philosophy appealed to voters who vividly recalled the battles surrounding the 1930s New Deal and resented what they saw as their diminished control over their own lives and businesses. The government spent too much, interfered too much, and wielded too much power, they believed, and Goldwater seemed to give voice to these convictions as LBJ doubled down on the government's role in the economy and society. 
I have little interest in streamlining government or making it more efficient, for I mean to reduce its size, Goldwater wrote. I do not undertake to promote welfare, for I propose to extend freedom. What mattered to Goldwater supporters as much as his policies was his candid, outspoken style. Crowds packed his rallies, greeting him as he made up to a dozen appearances daily, courtesy of his Bowen 727. Something must be done, and done immediately, to swing away from these obsessive concerns for the rights of the criminal defendants, to combat crime and lawlessness and restore order, he told one audience. He pledged to redress constitutional interpretation in favor of the public by appointing judges who prioritize individual rights. Goldwater made his feelings known about everyone, including President Lyndon Johnson, when asked about Johnson's push for the Civil Rights Act. Are you concerned, perhaps, about the Democrats taking advantage of this? After Lyndon Johnson, the biggest faker in the United States, having opposed the Civil Rights Act for all the years of his life, this is the phoniest individual that ever came around. Did you get that? His fans lapped it up, too, even when Goldwater's plain spokenness sometimes went too far. One Georgia supporter offered the candidate a taste of a beverage that he concocted and was selling it from the back of his truck. Gold water, or the right drink for the conservative taste. Goldwater was unimpressed. This tastes like piss, he said, spitting it out. Goldwater is remembered for endorsing extremism. However, only endorsing it when it's on his side. I would remind you that extremism in the defense of liberty is no vice. That moderation in the pursuit of justice is no virtue. Regardless of his charm and plain spokenness, Goldwater's rebuke of the moderates of his party came back to haunt him. The voice of the people was heard in the land. 68 million citizens of the United States go to the polls to exercise their cherished franchise and an overwhelming mandate is handed to Lyndon Baines Johnson, who becomes 36th President of the United States. The man who was thrust into office through the hand of tragedy captures an overwhelming percentage of the popular vote, more than 61%, a plurality over Barry Morris Goldwater of nearly 16 million ballots. It is an historical sweeping victory, approached only by that of Franklin Roosevelt in 1936. It is an election that crosses party lines, sees five states in the solid South defect to the GOP, and has political scientists wondering. While it killed his shot at the presidency, it wouldn't be, he wouldn't be the last to try. In fact, much of his beliefs are the cornerstone of the modern GOP. Goldwater's views and his lasting legacy are reflected in the slim, ghost-written book he published in the 1960s, The Conscience of a Conservative. Its publishers originally fretted over distributing an initial press run of 5,000 copies, recalled Stephen Hayward, a professor at Pepperdine University's Graduate School of Public Policy. But as Goldwater campaigned in 1964, his followers got on the GOP's right wing snapped up copies propelling it to the New York Times bestseller list. The 123-page manifesto hasn't been out of print since. It's the regular feature of college courses in politics, government, and economics. The book pops up on list of recommended reading for those on the Republicans' right wing. Goldwater's campaign slogan, In Your Heart, You Know He's Right, 
may have suggested that American voters in the ni- in 1964 weren't willing to be as outspoken opponents of a strong federal government or supporters of a candidate's ultra-conservative views. His flippant attitude toward the use of nuclear weapons scared many Democrats and even members of his own party. So much so that Johnson released a campaign ad, Daisy, that was so fear-inducing it was pulled after being aired only once. Vote for President Johnson on November 3rd. The stakes are too high for you to stay home. This would change over the decades that followed as his ideas and supporters moved slowly but steadily to the forefront of the Republican Party. Positions that seemed far to the right in the 1960s moved gradually to the mainstream, from originalist interpretations of the Constitution to limited government and a distaste for the uh, mainstream media. Many historians trace the ascendance of far-right candidates and groups within the GOP to Goldwater's failed but memorable campaign. While you may think that Goldwater was a template for the newfound Republican Party, there was a major difference. He was never a fan of the religious right. He had a staunch view that religion had no place in politics. While he was considered a Republican, much like Bernie Sanders is considered a Democrat, Goldwater was a Libertarian. In fact, he had this to say about Jerry Farwell in the 80s when President Reagan nominated Sandra Day O'Connor to the Supreme Court. The Reverend Jerry Falwell says that uh, good Christians should be opposed to Sandra O'Connor. Well, you know what I said about good Christians. No, what did you, what did you say? How was that again, Senator? <laughs> well, I don't think I can use it on the air, but ass... Let us be the judge of that. <laughs> ass you... isn't a dirt. I said all good Christians should kick him in the ass. <laughs> when, when it comes to the place that these groups try to take away the power of the American citizen then I have to take exception to it. That's not tasteful. I don't like to do it. But I will oppose this abuse of constitutional power any place that I have to. Even the person you hate the most has good idea from time to time. Now, you begin to think that there is something familiar about Goldwater. And I'm not only referring to the words of Donald Trump, but of many Republicans after him. People wanted tough and plain spokenness. Guys with guts. But most importantly, someone to back the little guy. The creation of the Tea Party movement had this core belief. People like Ted Cruz, Rand Paul, and Marco Rubio ran under that banner. Then, of course, Donald Trump. But this time it resonated. So much so that he did something Barry Goldwater didn't. Win the presidency. Goldwater's run started something in the Republican Party. The seeds were already there. People like Ronald Reagan would pick up that mantle and run with it. He would be the next step 
in the evolution of the modern Republican Party. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what I'm doing here, you have two ways to help out. One, you can make a one-time donation to make this show self-sustaining through either PayPal, Cash App, or Venmo. Check the show notes for details and or links. Or two, you can share us on social media or review us on Apple Podcasts. This will make the algorithm gods promote our show to an unsuspecting public. And you can stalk me on Facebook, facebook.com slash thegenxerpod, Instagram, threads, and TikTok at thegen underscore xer. And if you're old school, email me, mailbag at thegenxerpod.com. And want to read some news, blogs, or just some of my random musings? Check out the blog at thegenxerpod.com. So that is it for me this week. So until next time, if your society has lost the art of irony and nuance, then you need to thank The Great American Shit Show. Oink, oink, oink.